The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Uh, I was um, teaching in Colorado this weekend and uh, just got on the subject of uh, one of my favorite uh, suttas from the Pali Canon, the earliest Buddhist text that the Theravada, Theravada Buddhism is based on. And uh, the sutta is, is um, I guess I like it because it's really dramatic and uh, it's got violence in it. There's no sex that I can find. But um, in a lot of the suttas, when you read them, are pretty dry, and they'll have kernels of drama in them. Uh, but this one is, is, I think, dramatic throughout. Um, it's also got a backstory, which every good story should have. It's the uh, Angulimala Sutta, and some of you, I'm sure, have heard this story before. Um, but I'd, I'd like to go through the sutta fairly carefully. Um, and partly just because it can be interesting and kind of fun to explore uh, a sutta and ha- how they were created and how they're designed. So the backstory, which is, this is from the Majjhima Nikaya, which is the middle-length discourses of the Buddha. And the backstory is in the back of the book, <laughs> in the notes. So I'm going to just read this to you. So the name Angulimala is an epithet meaning garland of fingers. Mala is garland and fingers is anguli. He was the son of the Brahman, Brahman Bhagava, a chaplain of, to King Pasanadi of uh, Kosala. I'm not, probably not pronouncing these things right. but uh, So if he was a chaplain to the king, he was obviously a pretty high person, his father. And the Brahmins of course, were the, the uh, religious leaders of ancient India. His given name was Ahimsaka, meaning harmless one. If you don't know this story, you'll find out the irony of that. Um, he studied at Takasila, or Takasila, where he became his teacher's favorite. His fellow students, jealous of him, told the teacher that Ahimsaka had committed adultery with his wife, with the teacher's wife. The teacher, intent on bringing Ahimsaka to ruin, commanded him to bring, a thou- bring him a thousand right-hand fingers as an honorarium. So Ahimsaka, he was a very devoted practitioner and very, and a very good student, uh, might have uh, been taking his devotion a little far. Ahimsaka uh, lived in the Jalini forest, attacking travelers, cutting off a finger of each and wearing them as a garland around his neck. At the time the sutta opens, it's like you know, the movie starts, right? At the time the sutta opens, he was one short of a thousand and had made a determination to kill the next person come along. The Buddha saw that Angulimala's mother was on her way to visit him 
and aware that Angulimala had the supporting conditions for Arhantship, which is full enlightenment, he intercepted him shortly before his mother was due to arrive. So this, what that means when he says the Buddha saw that Angulimala, the, the Buddha is said to have had this divine eye that he could actually see things that were not, in his vision, that he, he, he knew this was happening. And, and the reason that he wanted to intervene with that is that although it's possible to be redeemed from having committed murder, it's, if you commit, kill one of your parents, the karma of that is so severe that uh, he wouldn't have been able to attain arhatship. And, and so the Buddha wanted to intervene. So then the sutta opens, as do virtually all of them, thus have I heard. And just this opening phrase, there is some history to that. And, and I think it's uh, useful to understand that, just um, to understand the, the traditional Buddhist teachings and, and how they came about. That when the Buddha died... Uh, a short time afterwards, the, the, um, all the enlightened monks, all of his enlightened followers, came together to try to organize the teachings and make sure that they knew what they were so that they could preserve them. The one monk who was invited who was not fully enlightened was Ananda, who had been the Buddha's attendant for the last 25 years of his life. Ananda was the Buddha's cousin. And the reason he was invited was, for two, there were two reasons he was invited. One was that Ananda was renowned for his memory. And he, so he could, had what we call a photographic memory, although at the time they didn't have photographs, so they wouldn't have called it a photographic memory. The other reason he was invited was that when he signed up to be the, the Buddha's attendant, he made one condition to the Buddha. He said, I'll attend you, but anytime I miss one of your teachings, when I come back, if I have to go on some business of yours, when I come back, if I miss one, miss one of your teachings, you have to tell me what you spoke about and tell me exactly what you said. So this meant that for 25 years, he had heard all of the Buddha's teachings. So he was considered a real treasure, a, a repository of all the the teachings. So when they gathered, as the story goes, uh, the night before the gathering, Ananda didn't want to be the only unenlightened monk at the gathering. You can imagine what a bummer that would be. You know, he kind of get, just being let in on a pass. You know, okay, we'll give you, put you on the guest list. But. So he. Uh, practiced deep into the night. Sitting meditation, walking meditation, sitting, walking. And it's said that he was walking and trying really with tremendous uh, intensity when he reflected on one of the teachings of the Buddha about right effort. And he realized that he was striving so hard that he was preventing his own attainment. And as the story goes, he decided he would lie down for a few moments. 
and that as his head hit the pillow, he attained enlightenment. And then he just lay there in the bliss of nirvana for the remaining hours of the night and then materialized at the gathering of the other monks at which they all kind of, I don't, they probably didn't applaud because they were enlightened monks, but, but they all acknowledged, oh, obviously he made it because he had attained the power of being able to just materialize and travel through space, which is one of the uh, 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 powers that, that some come to some people, uh, it is said. Um, so when they started to I love that story that's why I told it has nothing to do with the sutta but um, it always gives me hope uh, in terms of practice you know I, maybe I don't have to practice that hard relax uh, usually I just fall asleep though when my head hits the pillow so um, so the, then the reason the suttas start thus have I heard is that's Ananda's voice. So he recited everything he had heard, and he would say, thus have I heard, and then he would say what he had heard, and then everybody around, all the other monks, would either agree or they would make little edits. No, I think it was like this. Oh, I heard it like this, and then they would agree. But with it, so it was thus have I heard. And then he would always set the scene. Uh, so in this one it says, Thus have I heard, on one occasion, the Blessed One was living at Savati in Jetis Grove, Anadapindakas Park. There's a whole story behind that that I won't go into. But uh, Now on that occasion, there was a bandit in the realm of King Pasanadi of Kosala named Angulimala, who was murderous, bloody-handed, given to blows and violence, merciless to living beings. Villages, towns, and districts were laid waste by him, he was constantly murdering people and he wore their fingers as a garland. And when I first heard this sutta, this is, what I, this is the part of the story that I heard. And I always just felt like he was a bad guy. So I really liked finding out that there was a backstory that he wasn't a bad guy. It's just misguided. And then when it was morning, the Blessed One dressed and taking his bowl and outer robe went into Savati for alms. When he had wandered for alms and salvati and returned from his alms round after his meal, he set his resting place in order and taking his bowl and outer robe, set out on the road leading towards Angulimala. Cowherds, shepherds, and plowmen passing by saw the Blessed One walking along the road leading toward Angulimala and told him, Do not take this road, recluse. On this road is the bandit Angulimala, who is murderous, bloody-handed, given to blows and violence, merciless to living beings. Villages, towns, and districts have been laid waste by him. He is constantly murdering people and he wears their fingers as a garland. Men have come along this road in groups of 10, 20, 30, and even 40, but they still have fallen into Angulimala's hands. So, first of all, just to note that there's this repetition. We've already repeated a whole set of phrases that we see earlier on in the text. One of the reasons, clearly, that there was this repetition in the text was that it was an oral tradition. People, this is one of the reasons why we find all the lists in, in the Buddhist teachings, that it was easy to remember things if they were repeated and if they were given in these lists that were, became kind of mnemonic devices for people. There used to be a band called the mnemonic devices. That's where I actually learned that word. I didn't know what it meant. 
It means things that make help you to remember stuff. I don't know if you knew that. But, and it's spelled M-N. This, how many words in the English language start M-N? It must be Greek or something. But anyway, I digress, as usual. Um, further, though, in terms of these repetitions, we can, at times, if we are really good students of Buddhism, and I'm not one, uh, can infer more from, from the repetition. And, and a great example of this is in the, um, the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the Sutta on the Foundations of Mindfulness, really the core teaching of Theravada Buddhism. The, the, there's a book called Satipatthana, which many of the Dharma teachers and Dharma students have been reading over the last several years since it came out. And, and in it, he, starts, he discusses why there is some of the repetition in that beyond just the, the uh, memory part of it. But I don't know why there's, it's in here other than just remembering it. Uh, another aside, though, is that um, Ajahnamaro, who many of you are, are familiar with, the wonderful English monk who used to be the co-abbot of uh, Abayagiri Monastery up in Ukiah, um, he published a book called uh, The Pilgrim Kamanita, which was uh, it was his re rendering of an an existing no- a German novel from the early twentieth century about the that takes place in the Buddhist time and the character Angulimala is in there and it's really a great depiction of him and because the when you realize that he was able to kill forty people at a time he was Ajahnamaro depicts him as this incredibly strong, powerful guy, which he must have been in pretty good shape. Um, So when this was said to the Buddha to not go, it says, when this was said, the Blessed One went on in silence. For a second time, this all was repeated to him by the cowherds, shepherds, and plowmen that he passed on the road. And for the third time, it was repeated to him. So often we'll see this in the Buddhist texts where someone will ask the Buddha something and he won't answer the first time. And then it'll take three times. And the third time he may answer. (laughs) Sometimes he'll say, okay, if you're going to really insist on it. Um, And that's the way, I believe that's the way uh, he admitted women into the the monastic life. because originally he didn't want women in there. We won't discuss that too much. But, um, but his, his aunt, who was his, actually his stepmother, was begging to be um, ordained. And so she went to Ananda, who, ha- who had the Buddha's ear. And Ananda had a way with the Buddha of just kind of gently talking him into things and, and asking him. He knew that if he asked three times, the Buddha would often agree. But this time the Buddha... Continues in silence despite the three times. So this really shows his determination. He's not going to be turned away from this. The bandit Angulimala saw the blessed one coming in the distance. When he saw me, he thought, it is wonderful, it is marvelous, marvelous. Men have come along this road in groups of 10, 20, 30, and even 40, but still they have fallen into my hands. And now this recluse comes along unaccompanied as if driven by fate. Why shouldn't I take this recluse's life? Angulimala then took up his sword and shield, buckled on his bow and quiver, 
followed closely behind the Blessed One. And that gives us some idea how he was killing these people, the weapons he was using. And then the Blessed One performed such a feat of supernormal power that the bandit Angulimala, though walking as fast as he could, could not catch up with the Blessed One who was walking at his normal pace. Then the bandit Angulimala thought, It is wonderful, it is marvelous. Formerly I could catch up even with a swift elephant and seize it. And I could catch up even with a swift horse and seize it. I could catch up even with a swift chariot and seize it. I could catch up with a swift deer and seize it. But now, though I am walking as fast as I can, I cannot catch up with this recluse who is walking at his normal pace. He stopped and called out to the Blessed One. Stop, recluse. Stop, recluse. I have stopped, Angulimala. You stop too. And this is kind of a famous phrase in the Buddhist literature. I have stopped, Angulimala. Then the, then the bandit Angulimala thought, these recluses, son of the Sakyans, speak truth, assert truth. But though this recluse is still walking, he says, I have stopped, Angulimala. You stop. Suppose I question this recluse. Then the bandit Angulimala addressed the Blessed One in stanzas thus. Well, you're a walking recluse. You tell me you have stopped. But now when I have stopped, you say I have not stopped. I ask you now, O recluse, what about the meaning? How is it that you have stopped and I have not? Angulimala, I have stopped forever. I have abstained from violence toward living beings. But you have no restraint toward things that live. That is why I have stopped and you have not. Oh, at long last, this recluse, a venerated sage, has come to this great forest for my sake. And the note here says that Angulimala had just realized that the monk before him was the Buddha himself because he would have known about the Buddha as having been a spiritual seeker previously. Uh, and that he had come to the forest for the express purpose of transforming him. Having heard your stanza teaching me the Dharma, I will indeed renounce evil forever. So saying, the bandit took his sword and weapons and flung them in the gaping chasm's pit. The bandit worshipped the sublime one's feet and then and there asked for the going forth. The going forth is to become a monk. The enlightened one, the sage of great compassion, the teacher of the world, with all its gods, addressed him with these words, Come, bhikkhu. And that was how he came to be a bhikkhu. A bhikkhu is a monk. And originally, to be ordained as a monk, all the Buddha would say is, come, bhikkhu. Later on, you had to take the vows and take on all the precepts. But in the beginning, he didn't have all that. Um, so this is a remarkable scene. This, you know, The Buddha has put himself in this position. And then, for the sake of this guy who, who seems kind of like, why are you... You know, in our culture, if somebody's killed 999 people, you go, don't go out and try to get them to join your church. You know, you know, walk down to Camino Real and try to find a murderer and say, come on up to IMC, join us, meditate. But first of all, of course, he, he knew through his divine eye that this guy was just so close to awakening. Um, and what the Buddha did in each day of his life after his enlightenment was he looked for someone who was ready to hear his teachings. 
one thing that's left out here that I cu- was curious about when I was reading this this afternoon is whatever happened to that mala? Whatever happened to those fingers? It doesn't say that in the text. I wonder if there's some story about that somewhere. So the, we, this is kind of the... Uh, in, most, you know, in most stories, this would be kind of the climax of the story. And there, but, but one of the things about the suttas is that they don't follow our you know, Hollywood forms. So th- this goes on, and a few more things should happen in this sutta that I think are really interesting. But I will say that, uh, first of all, that the, the, obviously the, the reason this teaching has survived and the reason I think it's so popular, besides the fact that it's got drama in it, is that it's about redemption. And it's certainly one, it came up this weekend when I was teaching because I was teaching a recovery retreat, as I often do, to people who are recovering addicts. And, uh, and this is, you know, he was kind of addicted to killing people. So. so then the Buddha goes back to Savati with Angulimala. And the people hear that he's there. And they go to the king and say, the Angulimala's in town. You know, and you know, you gotta do something. So he so King Pasanadi or Pasenadi or whatever <laughs> uh, comes to comes to the Buddha. Well it, he says and in the middle of the day, King Pasanadi, and I notice it says in the middle of the day, and like he didn't he wasn't gonna go out at night looking for this guy. <laughs> In the middle of the day, King Pasanadi of Kosala do- drove out of Savati or Savati with a cavalry of 500 men and, and set out for the park. So this is the, to the park where the Buddha is living. He drove thus as far as the road was passable for carriages, and then he dismounted from his carriage and went forward on f- foot to the Blessed One. After paying homage to the Blessed One, he sat down at one side, and the Blessed One said to him, What is it, great king? And, of course, the Buddha knows why he's there, but it's like... Huh, what, can I do something for you? Something else? Yes. <laughs> and he asked him if, if he's being attacked by other kings. And I'm like, no, no, it's Angulimala, who is murderous, bloody-handed, given to blows and violence, mercies to living beings. Uh, um, I, um, he says, I shall never be able to put him down, Venerable Sir. So, you know, he said, I'm here, I'm here for Ngulimala. And, and this is what the Buddha says. He says, great king, suppose you were to see that Angulimala had shaved off his hair and beard, put on the yellow robe, and gone forth from the home life into homelessness, that he was abstaining from killing living beings, from taking what is not given, and from false speech, that he was refraining from eating at night, ate only in one part of the day, and was celibate, virtuous of good character. If you were to see him thus, how would you treat him? So he's saying if, if you found out he was a monk and this is he's describing all the uh, what, things that the monks follow being homelessness abstaining from killing or taking what's not given false speech refraining from eating at night being celibate so this is interesting because this tells us something about this this culture so the, the king says venerable sir we would pay homage to him 
or rise up for him and invite him to be seated. Or we would invite him to accept robes, alms food, a resting place, or medicinal requisites. These are all the things that the monks are allowed to have. Robes, food, resting place, and medicine. Or we would arrange for him lawful guarding, defense, and protection. But venerable sir, he is an immoral man, one of evil character. How could he ever have such virtue and restraint? Now, on that occasion, the venerable Angulimala was sitting not far from the Blessed One. Then the Blessed One extended his right arm and said to King Pasanati of Kosala, Great King, this is Angulimala. Then King Pasanati was frightened, alarmed, and terrified. <laughs> it's kind of redundant, but I guess it, in this case it's appropriate. Knowing this, the Blessed One told him, Do not be afraid, Great King. Do not be afraid. There is nothing for you to fear from him. Then the king's fear, alarm, and terror subsided. I guess if the Buddha says, relax, you relax. You know. He went over to the venerable Angulimala and said, Venerable sir, is the noble lord really Angulimala? Yes, great king. And then he goes on to ask him if he's really a monk and who his family is. And, and then uh, he says... Um, I shall provide robes, alms food, resting place, and medicinal requisites to you. And, uh, and it says, Now the venerable Ananda was a forest dweller, an alms food eater, a refuse rag wearer, and restricted himself to three robes. He replied, Enough, great king, my triple robe is complete, saying, I don't even need anything from you. And, and he's, he's actually, it actually means that he's living a more ascetic life than he has to. So the, the king goes back to the Buddha and says, it is wonderful, it is marvelous how the best one tames the untamed beings, brings peace to the unpeaceful, leads to Nibbana, those who have not attained Nibbana. Venerable sir, we ourselves could not tame him with force and weapons, yet the blessed one has tamed him without force or weapons. And now, venerable sir, we depart. We are busy and have much to do. And the Buddha says, now is the time, great king, to do as you think fit. He often says when someone leaves. I'm just checking to see how much time I have to continue my story here. Not my story, but these stories. Um, There are a couple of more events that are worth noting here. Um, But I just think it's, it's worth remarking remarking on one more time that how impressive this is and, and uh, we see that first of all that the Buddha was quite friendly with uh, many of the kings in that, in, that era, in that area in northern India he, he was quite involved in politics in ways that we don't really think of him as having been um, you know the kings came and consulted with him and uh, obviously had great respect for him. He, but he came from a royal family, uh, so they probably saw him as being you know, of their class, even though he was a monk, which probably made them more willing to talk to him. But also, I just, it, it obviously just points to so much uh, that the culture, this culture, that a king would go and kind of bow down to this guy. I mean, I guess our presence, you know, but there's that picture of, uh, Obama with uh, the Dalai Lama, which actually was before he was, although supposedly he was he had a kata, Obama had a kata, one of the 
Dalai Lama's blessed uh, scarves in his pocket when he was um, inaugurated. Have you heard that story? So anyway, uh, and then there's um, Billy Graham. I mean, they all bow down to him. So, but most of them bow down. Our presidents bow down to Wall Street. So, it's a different kind of king. But that, and again, that he it would be accepted that this person, once they had committed to the Buddha, that okay, we're not going to try to put you on trial. So the next thing that happens is that. Um, Angulimala goes on alms round. And as we, he was wandering from alm, for alms from house to house in Savati, he saw a certain woman giving birth to a deformed child. Now, this kind of comes out of the blue. And it, it, makes, it, it, it makes me think that this is a, a real story because it just has nothing to do really with the rest of the story. I mean, it, it does in a way, you'll see. When he saw this, he thought, how beings are afflicted. Indeed, how beings are afflicted. And he goes back to the Buddha and he says, as I was wandering for alms, I saw a woman giving birth to a deformed child. When I saw that, I thought, how beings are afflicted. And the Buddha says, in that case, Angulimala, go into Savati and say to that woman, sister, since I was born, I do not recall that I ever, ever intentionally deprived a living being of life. By this truth, may you be well and may your infant be well. Angulimala's like, uh, wouldn't I be telling a deliberate lie? For I have intentionally deprived many living beings of life. So the Buddha goes, Then, Angulimala, go into Savati and say to that woman, Sister, since I was born with the noble birth, in other words, since he became a monk, or, yeah, I think it's just, since he became a monk. I do not recall that I have ever intentionally deprived a living being of life. By this truth, may you be well and may your infant be well. So Angulimala goes and, and says these words to this woman, and the woman and the infant became well. So this has become a traditional chant that Buddhist monks do for pregnant women. Since I was born with the noble birth, I do not recall that I have ever intentionally deprived a living being of life. By this truth, may you be well, and may your infant be well. I don't know what it, how it goes in Pali, but presumably it's chanted in Pali. So that just kind of comes out of the blue, but the, the, you know, the real teaching in here, of course, in terms of the story, is that the Buddha is saying, you know, once you've crossed over, then you are, you can say this, uh, you, you know, you, you can say that you've never harmed somebody. You've become really essentially another, a different person. And so here's where he becomes enlightened. It says, before long, dwelling alone, withdrawn, di- diligent, ardent, and resolute, the venerable Angulimala, by realizing for himself with direct knowledge here and now, entered upon and abided in that supreme goal of the holy life for the sake of which clansmen rightly go forth from the home life into homelessness. That's just by way of saying he became enlightened. So now we realize that despite the fact that he killed 999 people, he was capable of being enlightened. This tells us something vital about karma. 
Um, We'll say more about it. So this is the next story, piece of the story that's often recalled. Then when it was morning, when it was morning, the venerable Anand addressed and taking his bowl and outer robe went into Savati for, for alms. Now on that occasion, someone threw a clod and hit the venerable Angulimala's body. Someone else threw a stick and hit his body. And someone else threw a potsherd and hit his body. Then, with blood running from his cut head, with his bowl broken, and with his outer robe torn, the venerable Angulimala went to the Blessed One. The Blessed One saw him coming in the distance and told him, Bear it, Brahman, bear it. You are experiencing here and now the result of deeds because of which you might have been tortured in hell for many years, for many hundreds of years, for many thousands of years. So, the note here is important says that any volitional action, karma, is capable of yielding three kinds of result. A result to be experienced here and now, that is, in the same life in which the deed is committed, a result to be experienced in the next existence, and a result to be experienced in any life subsequent to the next, as long as one's sojourn in samsara continues. Because he had attained arhantship, Angulimala had escaped the latter two types of result, but not the first, since even arhats are susceptible to experiencing the present life results of actions they performed before attaining arhatship. So the reason he couldn't, this karma couldn't be experienced in a future life is because once one has attained full enlightenment, you're not reborn again. So, uh, so he's, so it's, you know, there's an elegance to this. And the Buddha because the Buddha is so compassionate, right, that he's gone and saved this guy. But when people are throwing rocks at him, he's like, deal with it, dude. You know, <laughs> you know this, is, this is not really that much considering what you did. You know, so I'm Gulimala, I'm sure. I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. What can I say? But this idea, too, that that there is the possibility of redemption and and that uh, you know, the karmic results of our actions aren't necessarily going to be as severe as we might think. And, and again, I, I run into this a lot in the recovery world, but I think a lot of us maybe carry around guilt, uh, burdens of guilt for things that uh, but certainly this is true for people in recovery who kind of say, wow, you know, they, they go through the 12 steps and they make amends, but they still know that there's a lot of people they could never make amends to or that people that they harmed. And, and their lives may be very good, um, but that the, the transformation that they've gone through, although it might not be enlightenment, is nonetheless such a powerful transformation that um, they they can really live uh, very fully and happily. And, and uh, I, th- I think it does speak to spiritual awakening, to, to the power of, of spiritual transformation that's mysterious. Uh, so the, the Angulimala um, then recites these verses, and, and this, there's a couple of verses here that I think are really beautiful and point to this uh, this idea. 
He says, who once did live in negligence and then is negligent no more. He illuminates the world like the moon freed from a cloud. Who checks the evil deeds he did by doing wholesome deeds instead. He illuminates the world like the moon freed from a cloud. So it, this is pointing to something even more than redemption, really, that that coming back from something like that is in some ways even more powerful. Um, there's a phrase that they... I've heard this phrase around Alcoholics Anonymous uh, and, and doesn't originate there, I'm sure, but... Um, now, if I can recall it, something like... Um, Uh, religious people don't want to go to hell and spiritual people have been to hell and don't want to go back, something like that. So, uh, so you know, I, I think there, it's such a rich story and, and um, certainly my own thoughts, I think, are, are just... Uh, my own thoughts about it. I think it, it's worth exploring each of us to look at these suttas and, and see the meaning that we can derive from them. Um, but it's, uh, you know, one of the things that makes the Pali Canon so rich is these, is these stories and the way that um, we're, this time comes alive. You know, I, I was doing some research for some writing I was doing, doing some research into Indian history. And the, really the, the only uh, information you can get from ancient India, or even from relatively not, even from the last, even from a thousand years ago, which I suppose is ancient, but not 2,500 years ago, comes from the religious texts. Because there, there was no... Um, the Western idea of kind of... Pres- preserving history the way we do, which is for us about, mostly about power. The, the history is about kings and you know, rulers and wars. That, that, that idea didn't exist in India as, a, as the idea that they would try to remember that. That's, and you can see even from this text that who's really important in this story? Not the king. <laughs> the Buddha is much more important in these stories. And so that if you want to find out about ancient Indian, Indian history, you read, the, read about the Buddha and then you, have to, you kind of fill in the blanks from that. In any case, it's, a, it's hopefully an inspiring story of, uh, of redemption uh, and so that uh, most of us have probably not killed that many people and uh, so that, that we all have that potential. Uh, you know, so many, so many times people... Uh, struggle with things like the loving kindness practice and feel uh, maybe that a lack of worthiness or however you want to characterize that just don't it's hard for us to give love to ourselves uh, maybe we just don't feel like we're good enough or uh, have earned it but but to see that through the Buddhist viewpoint there is always the possibility of redemption and that we are all worthy of, of enlightenment, ultimately. 
can, can maybe relieve us of that kind of uh, feeling. So it looks like uh, we're pretty much out of time. So um, let's uh, close with the dedication of merit. And perhaps after this story we can send some merit this evening to those who have committed crimes. Those people who are perhaps incarcerated or, or perhaps walking around in the world with guilt. Perhaps they've committed crimes and they don't feel guilt, but they are walking around in the world with terrible karma. We can recognize that within us are both the seeds of enlightenment and the seeds of hatred. Then we can perhaps feel compassion for those who have acted unskillfully We've all had moments of anger, moments when we wanted to take something that wasn't ours, moments of greed, moments of lust. Some of us have certainly acted on those feelings. we can send merit to ourselves as well for any unskillful actions we have taken. All beings are subject to greed, hatred, and delusion. May all beings be free from these poisons. May all beings live with compassion and kindness. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you very much for your attention.